0: This is our league. And this is your league. From the 55-yard line on CFL America Radio and the Sports History Network.
1: This is a league of A's and BCs. It's green and red and gold and black and blue. This is a league with two official languages and many unofficial languages. It's East versus West. Wheat versus iron. Love versus hate. This is a league where superstars are extraordinary and ordinary at the same time. It's a league of ice, of fog, of mud and wind. And for one Sunday in November, it's the nation's glue. This is a league as diverse as a country. A league of Jacksons, Kwangs, Johnsons, Moskas, O'Shea's, and Haji Razulis. This is his league, his league, her league, their league, and their league. It's my league, and it's your league. This is our league.
0: And welcome to the 55-yard line here with Scott and Greg, and we are here today with Dana Guster of the Historically Speaking podcast here on the Sports History Network. Dana is a former sports writer and sports broadcaster and joins us today from Atlanta to talk about African-Americans who have played in the Canadian Football League. Dana, welcome. Thank you for joining us, and it's great to be able to reciprocate after you had me on your show. I think it was, what, last month or if it's if, if time gone by so quick. I think <laughs> it, was it was a few like, weeks ago.
2: Um, but yeah. I, I'm, glad to, I'm glad to be here, man. and. Um... I was uh, looking for I've been looking forward to this for a while to talking to both of you guys and I'm late to the party when it comes to the Canadian Football League, but uh, listen to you, show and everything else. Uh, I'm glad I'm here and then y'all making me the DJ of uh, the, uh, the party that's been <laughs> so graciously invited to. So um, I'm, I'm enjoying it and I love y'all show and um, I'm glad to be here.
3: We are very glad to have you for sure. And I, I know we were talking off the air about. Um, you know, when you started researching some of this going down some rabbit holes and uh, it is really fun. I mean, you start looking at the history of this league and, uh, you know, some of the, the groundbreaking things that it's done. And, it, and it's pretty impressive. I mean, the Canadian Football League really has a rich history. Um, it
2: was um, I
3: got in- introduced to it when I was like eight
2: years old, you know, and I didn't even know there was another league in Canada. Here I am. I'm 48. So we're talking about 40 years ago that I discovered it on ESPN by a friend of mine. Um, I had told um, Greg this the last time when we had talked on my show that the first time I had ever seen a Canadian football league game. Again, I was eight and my friend had told me about it. And I thought it was the weirdest thing I had ever seen. But I was instantly drawn to because, of course, it's football. And, you know, growing up like you and I grew up and growing up in the South, you know, football is a religion here and whether it was foot whether it's canadian or high school whatever if it's football i'm watching it and even if it was in like August, that i saw this game and i just thought it was the weirdest thing ever but i was instantly drawn to it so that was one of the things that got me into in, um very interested in, in the cfl and i came again came late to the party because i kind of like throughout high school and everything else i really didn't have a lot of access to it growing up in, you know in louisiana but As I've gotten older and thanks to the internet and other things uh, and knowing people in Canada, they kind of opened my eyes to the Canadian Football League and I was like instantaneously drawn to a a second time. So that's why I say I'm late to the party, but hey, I'm here.
0: Well, you know, you're not quite late to the party because, you know, just talking about how you kind of came to know the CFL. It's kind of the same for me and I know for Scott, too. I mean, let's face it, we grew up in the United States of America Where we didn't have access, unless you lived in Detroit or along the border, you didn't have access to the CBC feed back in the day when, you know, the league was on the CBC. Now, obviously, in the 21st century, we've got the magic of ESPN Plus and the internet to help us along. So, and but yeah, like you, you know, once I was able to see the games, I, you know, even though I dove into the history as much as I could, you know, say at the library for the CFL, the Internet has opened up, I think, a lot of our eyes. And I know a lot of people out there, you know, when it comes to, you know, CFL players and specifically the impact the CFL has had um, on social justice issues, including bringing in African-Americans to play key positions that, unfortunately, they were not, you know, were not allowed to play here in the United States. And, um, and so that's, you know, um, there's a lot of great players out there and we'll just start with Warren moon and work our way from there. Um, yeah. And um, so, you know, tell us in terms of, you know, you, you know, you, you know a lot more about on this subject than, than you, than probably Scott and I do. So where do we start? Where did the, who were some of the first African-Americans to play in the CFL that, people here in the united states should really get to know now let me tell you um
2: the color barrier in the cfl was actually broken one year before jackie robinson broke the color barrier in 1947 in major league baseball um her of uh, trawick who's a name that is well known throughout the cfl herb trawick was a, played for the uh Montreal Alouette in, in 1946, he joined them as an offensive and defensive, defensive lineman because he played both ways and which wasn't you know uncommon back at that time. Yet, as with everything going that, back that far, there has been some discrepancy on whether he was actually the first. There was a guy that played for Saskatchewan, supposedly. Well, no one knows if he really played or not, a uh, guy by the which has the coolest nickname I've ever heard. Um, Robert Stonewall Jackson. I imagine this uh, Stonewall Jackson, a black guy, but you know has the same name as a favorite Confederate general. That's kind of ironic, but
3: that's even that's, ma- that's a major trolling right there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he was in a team photo of the Rough Riders in 1930, but is unclear whether he even played or not so there's some discrepancy about whether he was the very first player or whether it was herb trawick but herb trawick went to kentucky state Uh, he played in the cfl for roughly 10 years and um but he was one of the first players of note and it was very interesting that he played in montreal because that was a very that because montreal was the city that Jackie Robinson played minor league baseball with the Royals, so they've already had, and so to boost the, I guess the gate receipts and the popularity of the Alouettes, you know, with you know black people who was living in Montreal, they decided to sign Trewick and he was an immediate star for that team in the late 1940s.
3: Yeah, wasn't that part of the ownership group in Montreal? Wasn't that one of the reasons they signed him because of the popularity of of Robinson playing with a minor league baseball team? They thought, well, you know, maybe this could also work in football as well. I mean, yeah, sort that's of exactly a, the reason why they signed him um, because it was
2: because uh, Montreal was a major hub of African uh, of, of pl- black people who lived in Canada was a major hub at that time period, especially in, in Eastern Canada, more. Um, more broadly, um, there was a large uh, black population, you know, during that time, and, um, and they wanted to capitalize off of Jackie Robinson's um, his popularity in Montreal and throughout all of Quebec, and he and signing trade was definitely a shot in the arm for that franchise is as for as the popularity of that team with black people living in Montreal and living in Quebec, um,
0: broadly. And with Montreal, too, you know, Montreal is all French. So the French have always been a little bit more ahead of the curve when it comes to um, issues of color. For instance, um, um, I apologize. The name is, um, she was a singer in the 1920s and 1930s and 1940s. And the name is escaping me now. Um, I know who you're talking about. uh, (laughs) Josephine Baker. Yeah. Josephine Baker. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that probably is part of the reason why, you know, again, Jackie Robinson up there, but yeah, Canada has always been very, you know, when it comes to issues of color, at least in my experience and from what everything I've read, Canada's always been ahead of the curve um, up there, you know, and again, we have prejudice everywhere, but up there, it just doesn't seem there is that prejudice that African-Americans obviously experience here in the United States, especially down South. And um, in your research and everything, what were some of the themes that kind of stood out when you were looking at, looking backwards and seeing who'd played there? What were, well, go, well, when go ahead. When it came
2: down to that, um, I tell you, going down, like I said, I went down a rabbit hole on yeah. this. And one of the things that I had noticed was the fact that the CFL was way more welcoming of black players, regardless of position, regardless of, anything was more welcoming to black players than the NFL seemed to be at the time. Um, For example, there was this, I guess you could say it was unwritten rule that I had read once where it was basically said that you you never have an odd number of black players on a team in the NFL. You would only have, you would have like two, four, maybe six in some cases, but you would never have three, four, you know, like three, five or seven. And the reason why, because you have an odd number is, you know, you have have to have, you know, black players staying together in the same room or whatever. So they, so that was like, something that was kind of frowned upon in the the NFL, but in the CFL, it was way more open, way more welcoming, way more open. It didn't matter where you came from, what color you were, as long as you could play, that's what mattered, especially in the 40s and 50s, and more so than they did in the NFL. Um, They were way more welcoming to
3: African Americans, more so than the NFL was. That's so interesting you mentioned that cuz I didn't realize that about the NFL but it, but it does make perfect sense. I mean you look at at the segregated areas, you know, if you had Afri- African American players who, you know, whether they were going to dine together or room together or whatever. I never thought of that. That's uh, that's an amazing stat. You you got there. That's that's incredible.
2: Yeah, and that was the way it was for in the you know when you know back in the days when you know when african Americans first started playing in the national football league in the late 40s early 50s you would never have an odd number of black players on a team you know you would have to always have an even number you know so they could run together and whatever have you and uh, but the cfl wasn't like that at all and they were some of the most famous players in the 40s and 50s enjoy i mean played in the NFL, but went to the, and went to the CFL and they felt it was almost like playing in a totally different world for them. And uh, just reading some of the stories and everything from different players that I've read, you know, they, they said that the CFL was way more welcoming and way more accommodating and the fans were didn't really matter where you came from or who you were or whatever. They just, as long as you performed on the field, that's what all that
0: mattered to them. Right. And who were some of the early players that people would recognize? Now, I'm going to give you one name.
2: Now, okay. I said that um, I love nicknames. And I think he has the coolest, one of the coolest football nicknames I have ever heard, especially for a receiver. And it's a guy by the name of Ezra Anderson, also known as Sugarfoot Anderson. Yep. It's, that is like the coolest nickname I have ever heard. for That's football better than player, Billy White, White Shoes Johnson. <laughs> you know, he played at Kentucky State, and he played – receiver and he's also defensive back you know played in the late 40s early 50s for calgary and he had 116 receptions in his career which doesn't sound like a lot but it was a different brand of football even though there was there there was more passing back then than the nfl did it was you know everybody knows cfl is more of a passing league because of the rules and everything but his best season was in 1950 when he had 46 reception which is Unbelievable an amount of reception for 673 yards. And having 46 catches in 1950 is, you know, if you put it left up against the stats at the time on both leagues, that's a lot of catches, you know, and it was a different type of game then and everything. But uh, Sugarfoot, I love that nickname. And uh, he was one of the really first great players. Uh, another great player, and actually the first African American, was Bernie Custis and play for Hamilton play for the play for the Tiger cats and he was the first you know one of the first the first player and very interesting note about Bernie Custis is that there's a, a secondary school or high school whichever you, you know they call it different things there's a high school that's right next door to Tim Horton Stadium that's named after Bernie Custis which I think was really cool you know and um, I, like I said in, in in a show that that Greg and I were on, um, I have, you know, friends who live in Canada who did like my family and um, they went to Hamilton. They live in Hamilton. They live right around the corner from uh, Old Iverwind Stadium, which is now Tim Horton Stadium now. And um, she passed me, you know, one of my friends, she passed me right in front of that school and she told me about that. And I was like, wow, you know, and, uh, and there's this part of, a little bit of civic pride in that you know like you know hamilton was the site of the first black player in the history of the cfl and there's a point of pride of that in that in that city and i thought that was so amazing especially being someone that's african-american from the south and just to see that kind of civic pride which which you know, i thought was just very refreshing to me
3: absolutely i always think of uh, i think george reed was born in mississippi but, you know, became a naturalized citizen. And then, you know, when I when, see, I'm an old guy, I'm 60 and I was exposed to the CFL in the mid seventies, which was right at the end of Reed's career. But I mean, good grief, you know, this guy had over 16,000 rushing yards and 134 touchdowns ends up becoming a naturalized citizen and becomes, you know, just a, a huge part of, of Canadian culture, you know, beyond what he did as a football player. So he's He's one of those guys that's always fascinated me, you know, just just his overall story. Well, George Reed,
2: I mean, that was another guy that I ran across that I hadn't really heard of until I did start doing my research. And if you would have put his stats, his rushing stats, alongside the NFL rushing stats, do you know that he would have been the third leading rusher in NFL history? Really? Well, thirdly, he would have been behind Emmitt Smith and Walter Payton he had more rushing yards than Jim Brown when he retired. Wow.
0: I did not know that,
2: you know, and I thought that was so amazing of a guy that he played his whole career in Saskatchewan and he was just amazing. What, I mean, he was six foot, you know, six foot 205, I think is his, his, his measurements were, but he was just so amazing. Such an amazing run. I did some, did I actually looked up some film footage of him and, um, he was nice he was nice right you know I mean, he, he, he kind of reminded you looking at it, he kind of reminded you of maybe maybe like the Walter Payton you know yeah. maybe a little bit taller version of Walter Payton you know he wasn't overly big but he wasn't small either he was just an average size running back but he had unbelievable balance and speed You know he could run over you if he needed to he had that type of power but he was more he but he was more of a speed back and he was just such an amazing player and i had never heard of him until i started doing this research and this is one of the things i love about this is that you know you start going down and you start learning new things and stuff like that and then you become more and more attached to the subject matter like i am attached to the cfl and which is something that i did Not expect doing this, but um, it's one of the great surprises of, of doing what we do,
0: yeah. And that's and that's yeah, we're I'm the same way, and I know I know Scott is too. And you know, to put that you know, that that running that that rushing career in perspective, you know, for those listening here who live in the states, you have to keep in mind it's a three down game up there, it's right, 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 and it's that extra down makes a huge difference. So to have those numbers just tells you kind of the impact player he, he, he was, much like Andrew Harris today that plays for the Blue Bombers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the Blue Bombers are the, the one exception in that league right now. They're, they've got – well, they, right now they've got two backs, and they are a power run team. They, they're just as dangerous on the run as they are with the pass. And that's something that
2: a lot of people from, from the United States don't realize these three downs – the field's bigger. So, it, and, and then the defensive line is one yard off the ball instead of being on the ball. And it's a totally different game. And it, it just kind of lends itself to being more of a passing league. Yeah. And guys like George Reed and guys like Cookie Gilchrist. And guys, oh,
0: I love Cookie. You love know, and guys, Cookie. and
2: other guys like Mike Pringle. Yes. They ran the ball. You know, another great another guy with a great nickname was with Michael Pinball Clemens. You know, yep. those guys yep. were, you know, just. You know, use turn a a, a league that's from my primarily known for passing turn that into a turn that into a running league. Where became they became stars as runners. You know, in a league that was totally designed and lend itself for passing.
3: Absolutely, and- I mean, to me in the Canadian league, if you can become a superstar as as you just said, Dan, if you can become a superstar as a running back. You're something special, just just for the reason you said. Because in a three-down game, there's a sense of urgency every down. You know, you don't get like in the American game, you don't get the first down to kind of feel out what the defense is doing. Every single down has to matter. You know,
0: and if right. you're gonna and if you're gonna run, you're gonna pass to set up the run. Yeah. Yep.
2: Which was an old, um, as you could tell, you know, those who are listening. I'm wearing a LA Chargers hat, and I'm a char- been a Chargers fan since I was like. Eight nine years old, and Sid Gilman used to say that anybody <clears throat> anybody that says that you have to run to set up the pass is full of crap.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you got to pass to set up the run, okay? And that is gospel truth in Canada. It may not be that way in the in, in the American game, but in in the Canadian game, you have to run to set up the pass. And those guys that I just mentioned. You know, were just outstanding runners who basically turned that kind of theory on his head, but just because of their talent. Right. Just because of their own natural running talent.
0: Yeah. You know, and that also translates over to the quarterback position, too, where, you know, I'll use last night's game. Um, you know, last night, Vernon Adams Jr., he's a, you know, watching him play, he's the best quarterback in the CFL, if you ask me, because he's very much in that Tracy Ham mode. Where it's a dual threat. I know in my simulation CFL league, I love giving the ball to Tracy Ham because, I, you know, I have Pringle, Mike Pringle in the backfield. Unfortunately, Mike Pringle on paper is not as good as the Mike Pringle in, in in real life, just the way the <laughs> dice rolls go. But when it comes to Tracy Ham, boom, takes off. So, um, yeah, CFL quarterbacks, you have to CFL players have to be very versatile. And, you know, if you're a running back, you've got to be a threat coming out of that backfield, too, because, again, that extra down just makes such a huge difference.
2: You know, you mentioned Tracy Ham. Tracy Ham was one of the first players that I really was – I was kind of like his John the Baptist when I was in high school and in college because I started watching, you know, whenever I could get to CFL, living in Louisiana, right? you know – the, the Argos would be playing and Tracy Ham would be on the team and, and I, would be, I was like his John the Baptist kind of speaking because he was you know, drafted by the Rams, but he didn't play for the Rams at all. He went straight to, you know, <clears throat> went straight to the CFL and two-time Grey Cup champ, um, 1995 Grey Cup Most Valuable Player, 1989 CFL Most Outstanding Player in his, in his third season, I think it was, second or third year. And he was like in that mode of a, you know, smallish running quarterback like a Lamar Jackson type of guy, you know, but he was unbelievably fast and unbelievably quick, but he had a rifle for an arm and he was just the world first dual threat quarterback in either well, you know, he was at the same time around the Cunningham with the Eagles, but in Canada he was such of a valuable weapon because of the exactly what we were talking about, the urgency on every play, to get the 10 yards, to get the first down, because you don't have that one down to play with. You know, you got to go right, there, right then and there to get the first down because you only got two tries before you punt. Right. You know, so Tracy Hamm was just such of an unbelievable player, you know, during that time period and, and throughout all of the uh, CFL history.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I mean, he is considered – you know, he quarterbacked what is considered by many to be the greatest CFL team ever assembled. Right. Now whether that was because it was all Americans or the ratio, who knows, but that was that's that's the one team people s- still talk reverently of up there in Canada as being one of the greatest ever. Wow. Now that I didn't now that I didn't know What year that was the 89? No, team? that was that was 94 and 95 that the stallions played. Oh, okay in Baltimore
2: okay you know, the stallions that's right when he yeah yeah because uh the the one year that the, the, the stallions won with him and Mike Pringle you know that was that was an amazing team right you know, we heard a little bit about that you know down here in Louisiana though we didn't you know we had the pirates but you know the pirates were the pirates but uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah I mean that 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 experiment in you know having American based teams in the CFL yeah. you know kind of lended itself to try to grow the popularity of the sport and it did for a while especially here in Louisiana you know mm-hmm. with the Pirates and um, you know it was it was it was some interesting times you know back in the mid 90s because I was in college back then and um, I wanted to try to get to a game out there but I just couldn't make it you know but I wish I would have though really. <laughs>
3: I was going to ask you, since we're both, you know, Southern guys that had Southern CFL teams, if you, you know, were able to be a fan or not, I was, I was working for a newspaper at the time. So I actually got to cover their, their first game and sort of, you know, after that I was stuck covering racing and other (laughs) sports and stuff, but I still remained a fan. And I just thought, you know, maybe uh, the American experiment would, you know, would work out much better than it obviously did. So, yeah, that's interesting to know that you were in college when the Shreveport Pirates were, were around and unfortunately didn't have too long to cheer for them, just kind of like the Barracudas. We were we were one and done here in Birmingham.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, they're playing, you know, in Shreveport and, it, I mean, they, they had to play all their games at night, you know, because there's nowhere in the world you could play – a CFL, you play a football game at Independence Stadium in Shreveport with all of those aluminum metal benches reflecting the sun and playing <laughs> on artificial turf, and it was just, a, and then the, the, the whole stadium setup was not conducive to the Canadian game because they had to kind of like make accommodations to make that work, and it was just a big message report, you know, I was, from what I, I, was... I
0: remember. How was the field? Was it regulation size, or did they? It was it
2: was was a regulation size, but what they had to do was they had to take out some of the stands on on, on the end zone to have to fit the end zone, the Canadian end zone. So they had to take some seats out to make that work.
0: Yeah, the reason why I ask, and the reason why the reason why I ask is when you know doing my you know I've done research on the CFL, you know when they were in the U.S., but you see very few pictures of how what the stadiums were like other than Memphis. Because right. Memphis was the, you know, was the glaring example of, you know, America doesn't have the fields for a Canadian game.
2: You know, but the, the thing is that in the end zones at Independence Stadium, for what I, what I remember back then is that they were temporary. Okay. Even when they had the Independence Bowl, there were temporary stands in each end zone so they could just move them back.
0: Oh, ah, you know, okay, gotcha.
2: You know, it just the, the, the permanent parts of Independence Stadium was on the sidelines. Okay. Which was, and they had to kind of really squeeze them in, you know. The sidelines were so narrow, you know, at Independence Stadium, and um, you know it was it was a it was a mess. But I wish I would have had the chance to attend
3: a Pirates game, you know, you know when the Pirates were in Shreveport. Well, when we had Matt Dunnigan on a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about you know what he had hoped is that Birmingham would have the vast majority of their games on Thursday because then you weren't competing with high school football, college football, or the NFL. But then the owner of the Barracudas thought it would be best to play games on Sunday because he thought, well, you know, NFL fans would still rather watch their local team, but obviously – that was no, a huge miscalculation. I, mean, I think he would have
2: really had a better chance of doing it on Thursday nights because of just exactly Absolutely. what they were talking about. You know, like you're going in Alabama, you're going to compete against high school football. No, Bam and Auburn, forget it. In the NFL on Sunday. I don't know. But, you know, you know, with Birmingham being someone of a of a local team, maybe, you know, maybe it could have worked on Sunday, but they tried it and didn't work.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, that's what I hoped as as a, you know, someone trying to separate myself from a sports writer as a fan. Yeah, because I love the CFL. I would watch it on Sunday, but then I could see how rank and file people members of my family, like my dad, you know, he said, well, CFL is fine, but I just can't get used to the three downs. So, you know, he was always going to, if it came down to an American football game against the CFL game, he was going to choose the American game 10 times yeah. out of 10. And
2: that's, a, and that's a lot in the South. That's a lot right. in the South when you see that.
3: Yeah, yeah. Which, you
0: know, just talking about that. It's if anybody's watched the games the last two weeks, I don't know who, who can't, who wouldn't love Canadian football. This week, man, some of the games weren't the greatest, but the week before that opening weekend, it's like, you know, what, you know, at least for me, when I was really first really started watching it, after about, I don't know, about the second set of possessions, I completely forgot about it only being three downs. It was football.
3: Yeah. Well, exactly. (laughs) I'm a Hamilton Tiger Cats fan, so I can tell you if I just started watching the CFL this year, I'd be having a problem right now. (laughs) A <laughs> little bit. Because the, the Tigre have not been fun to watch. You no score more you gotta average more than seven points a game to win.
0: Well, you know, wow. I have not followed and just kind of digressing a little bit about this weekend. I this morning I woke up and I was reading stuff from about the Elks on the Elks fan pages. The Elks fans are not happy at all. At wow. all. And uh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, now, speaking, I digress. Go ahead. Now
2: speaking of the Elks, you yeah. know we have having this discussion about the CFL and blacks in the Canadian Football League, and when you talk about the Elks, there's one person that you have to discuss, of course, and that is Mister Warren Moon.
0: It's yeah, that's that's where you that it starts and ends with. Well, you know, in terms of the, he is right there at top of that discussion pyramid.
2: I mean, five consecutive Great Cup titles. I yep. mean, come on. Um, he was the first quarterback to throw for over 5,000 yards, you know, and in 1983 he passed for 50, 5,600 yards, put that in perspective, 5,600 yards passing in a season,
0: right?
2: Some people don't do that in a career, much less one year. And it was through, you know, Hugh Campbell and, and the offense and, you know, and, and Warren moon was the first player, first star. Of the Canadian Football League that I really remember and being an eight, nine-year-old. First of all, being from the South, of course, we had they had Doug Williams at Tampa Bay. Right. And then you had Warren Moon in um, in Canada along with Condrich Holloway. Um, which I'm gonna talk about in a minute.
3: Oh, good. Uh, I love Conrad Holloway is my favorite CFL player of all time. And um
2: I mean Warren Moon was the first one that I remember because like when, when I first started watching it when I was in my younger, younger years, 8, 910 years old when he used to come on ESPN every week, you know, Edmonton would be playing and he'd be, I mean, first of all, seeing a black quarterback like this is different, you know, and it was, and he was so much fun to watch. First of all, I don't ever remember Warren Moon ever throwing like a ball that had any little any bit of a wobble in it at all. Everything was just a perfect spiral. And especially with the ball, with the stripes on the ball, it just looked so precise. You know, and it was he was just a talent. Even back when he was at Washington, I remember watching an old Rose Bowl game where he was in. Um, and he just I mean when he threw the ball, the ball looked like it blinked in the air because of the, the spiral was just so tight. And it was always on target. And it was just so, he was just so much fun to watch, you know, even later years when, with the Oilers, you know, and then with, you know, with me living in South Louisiana, just right up the street from Houston, about an hour and a half away from Houston, we got a lot of Oiler games. And he was just so much fun to watch, with, you know, but the success that he had in Canada is just unsurpassed by anybody. And what he, he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest quarterback to play in the ever
3: in the CFL. Yeah. yeah, he and, was he was during there during the time when, you know, if you got the paper the next morning, you knew that he had led Edmonton to a win, regardless of who they played. I mean, it, he, he just. But you know, then again, I mean, nobody really,
2: artist. really, nobody really was on Edmonton's level during that time.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, totally classed by themselves. Yeah.
0: And um, yeah, when what was what it? I, I'm sorry. It's early morning. and I've only had one cup of coffee. Five championships, right? Yeah. In a row. Five.
1: Five and, straight.
0: Five consecutive yeah. championships. And and this is what frustrates me with people in the United States who look at the Canadian football like, well, it's CFL. Hey, do you know how hard it is to win five championships in a row in any league? Any mm-hmm. league, right. Yes. And you know, it's just a shame he never got to the Super Bowl here. I think, you know, I can it would have been awesome to see the Oilers number one go to a Super Bowl. That would have probably kept him in Houston. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would have been a nice, that would have been a, a nice bow to put on, you know, to wrap up his career to have both the Grey Cup championship and a, a Super Bowl championship. Even just to get to the Super Bowl would be would have been an accomplishment in itself. But to be able to see somebody see somebody from the Canadian League with all the success that he had come down here and have equal success and he came close
2: yeah he came he came close i mean unfortunately he ran into the buffalo bills and the kansas city chiefs you know when they had joe montana (laughs) and and, and the the, the infamous comeback right you know losing to the bills um but you know when you talk about but can you imagine what the discussion would be had he won a super bowl now put this into perspective had Warren Moon won a Super Bowl, will we be considered talking, Will we talk about Warren Moon as possibly the greatest quarterback in football history?
0: Well, I it bothers me that we that he's not talked about as one of the greatest quarterbacks in football history.
2: Because he would have accomplished something that no one else had ever done. Right. You know, he won a Rose Bowl. He won five consecutive Grey Cups and add a Super Bowl to that. Yeah, we would be talking about him as one of the greatest. I mean, we we he is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in the history of football, but his stature would be so much higher had he right. won a Super Bowl. I mean, right. we would be comparing I mean, and you talk about all the yards he passed for in his career, you total up all of the yards that he passed in the CFL and the NFL with the Warriors in the running shoot. It's, it's, it's astronomical. It, it really is. And he played primarily in the running shoot. His whole career in Houston, uh, and then he went over to the other places. Went to Seattle, went to Minnesota, and they were also passing teams. So his they catered the offense towards him, and it just let you know his talent, his overall leadership skills, and overall talent of throwing the football. As we say down here, down here in the South, his ability to 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 spin it is just amazing.
0: Yeah, and you know, on that subject, talking about. The great quarterbacks up there. Do you know? Do you have any insight as to why Damon Allen? I mean, he did he had a Hall of Fame career in Canada? Why he never came down to the states? For I mean, it, you know, Marcus Allen, Allen's brother. Yeah. How come he never came to the states? Do you know.
2: I. Had, you know that that that's a that's a very good question. I think that his I think what it might have been was that with when, when we talk about Damon Allen. I think his thing was that he didn't want to play in the shadow of his brother okay you know you know yeah he is marcus allen's younger brother marcus allen super bowl mvp hall of fame running back for the raiders and chiefs he probably would have been no matter what he did here in the states he would have been probably regarded as always been well he's marcus allen's little brother and i think that he wanted his an identity all his own in canada I mean, you look at his career Four Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers right
0: now. You They're know,
2: break Cup championships, 19, uh, 1987 and 1993 and 2004. Great cup, most valuable player. OK, he was a uh, league MVP in 05. And he was the oldest, was well, second oldest player to win a league most valuable player next to Gordie Howell. And he right. was 42 wow. when he won league MVP.
0: Yeah, I mean, his longevity is. I mean, he played. You just look at the length he played.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, the the amount of games and the amount of years that he played, and he played for several different teams. He played for Edmonton twice, he played for Ottawa. Uh, Hamilton, British Columbia, Toronto, he played for a lot of different teams. You know, you know, he almost played for the entire league, but yeah. his longevity was something to speak of. And I think that the reason why he didn't come to the States, cause he definitely had the talent, definitely had the talent, both running and throwing. Um, he would have been always considered Marcus Allen's brother. And I think that he just wanted that identity all his own and didn't want to be in the shadow of his brother, which I can understand. You know, and then you have a very rabid following in Canada with all the success and the longevity that you played up in Canada. You know,
3: I don't blame him one bit. I I probably would have done the same thing. <laughs> yeah, and too, I mean, there's also the issue that, you know, certainly the money's not like it is in the NFL, but you could, you know, especially if you were that good, you can make a very comfortable living. You know, mm-hmm. there's also marketing deals, advertising, right. everything else. And if you invest well, you're absolutely fine. But yeah. That is, that's what amazes me is just just the longevity. And if you look at a lot of the superstars of the CFL over the years, especially when they play for a, a you know pretty good amount of time, they play for a lot of different teams. That's why it's always fun when I look at somebody like Reed or Treywick who spent their entire career you know with one team. That's just that's incredibly rare. Yeah, well,
2: yeah, it is rare. I'm, it's rare nowadays in any sport, but even in is. Canada with so few teams, you know that you see a lot of these superstar players go to different teams and i think you know i I, i'm not concretely sure about this this is just a theory that i may have is that the reason why that was was because that maybe that going to greener patches other places or maybe that the the, that the, the contracts that they want to pay these players they just didn't have the money for it, but another team right. did, or whatever. So that might have had then might figure into a lot of these really big time stars moving on to different teams and different, you know, different teams and everything. So yeah. I think that's probably one. With not I'm not concretely
0: sure on that, but that's just a theory. Well, could it right. be too? And I'm, I'm just thinking. You know, we're talking about this. Could it be a matter, a question of is it better to be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond? And I'll use the example of Milt Stiegel. Yes. yes. Milt Steagle, I mean, probably could play today if, if, if he wanted to. But mm-hmm. he's an institution up in Winnipeg.
2: Right. You know, Milt Stiegel known as, you know, I consider him and a lot of people as well, the Jerry Rice of the CFL. Yeah. You know, he, I mean, he was smooth like Jerry Rice. He, I mean, the body build is very similar. Yeah. You know, their bodybuild is extremely similar, but uh, Neil Stegall, CFL most five Valu- you know, CFL MVP in 02, you know, had fifteen thousand one hundred and fifty-three yards receiving in his career with Winnipeg. And um, you know, just an unbelievable smooth receiver. He started off his career in the NFL with the Bengals, and he only played like there for one year, I believe. Yeah. And then came over to Canada and then went played you know, started off, you know, and went to Winnipeg and then set the league on fire with his receiving, you know, and he was a lot like Jerry Rice. Watching him, and if you didn't realize that was no Steger, you would think that was Jerry Rice because that the same style, same body type, same, you know, same ability, everything. He was just so smooth with those Winnipeg teams.
0: And they both got, you know, in addition to that, is when those guys are on TV, you stop and listen.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have the they have yeah. a charisma about them that yeah. was just so, so, you know, they were just so impressive, you know, right. and then you could just listen to them all day long. And then you'd like, and everything they say, they could be, you could think you could take that to the bank pretty right. much. Cause they're both very, very, you know, very smart guys. And, you know, in, you know, in Jerry Rice being from a historical black college and university, uh, he, you know, that was, <laughs> uh, there's something cool right there, you know? Yeah.
0: Well, talking about personalities and charisma, let's talk about Cookie Gilchrist. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> Cookie
2: Gilchrist. Uh, one of my favorite stories about Cookie Gilchrist was that he was, when he was in Buffalo, he, he played in the NFL at the end of his career in Buffalo, in Denver, and Miami.
0: Which is essentially like playing in Canada because you're right there. Right,
2: the right. This is doing the AFL. You yeah. Know? This is doing the days of the AFL. Yeah. And um, Cookie drove a pink cadillac in buffalo you know and on the front of his car in the front of this big first of all it's a pink cadillac in buffalo so of course you're gonna know who it is but on the front bumper he had on there written looky looky here comes cookie on the front of the cadillac (laughs) which is kind of like which is basically his personality you know but he was also very outspoken you know, a force like race and discrimination, you know, even in Canada, we talked about earlier about how welcoming it was, but it was also important to mention that you can't, you know, taking racism out of the world, like taking water out of the ocean, you know, it it was always there, you know, but he's the only man, for what I understand, the only man ever to refuse induction into the Canadian Football Hall of Fame for that reason. Hmm. And, he was very adamant he didn't want because he could i mean you look at his stats you know four thousand close to five thousand yards rushing he was a 1957 great cup mvp for hamilton um just a power runner if you had to compare him to somebody today the first person i think of is derrick henry you know because he was a big Hmm. strong but he was he was very athletic for his size you know, if you look at pictures of him, he's trying to tackle him like trying to tackle an apartment building, I right. mean, He was just massive. But he was he but he had the, the speed to outrun DBs, right. which was impressive as well. What would,
0: would, would it be? Would it be fair?
2: He was kind of blackballed out of the AFL because yeah. of his stance on racism and, and he kind of blackballed. You know, and he just basically said, look, I, I, I'm flattered by the invitation, but I'm not going into the CFL Hall of Fame because yeah. of his stance on racism and racism in the league that he encountered, you know, in the CFL and of course in the, a- in the AFL. And it was in one of the major social stories of the sixties that a lot of people don't talk about was he led the boycott of the 1964 AFL all-star game in new Orleans. Right. You know, that a lot of people don't know about, you know, that-, that was
3: moved to Houston. Why isn't it? Because of that reason.
2: Yeah, you know, like all of the black players that was on the AFL All-Star teams, you know, like guys like Earl Faison, Ernie Ladd, you know, uh, Cookie Gilchrist, Abner Haynes, all those guys, refused to play in the AFL All-Star game, which was in New Orleans, and New Orleans was trying to get a team in the AFL, and that, you know, and that was kind of like of a black mark against the city of New Orleans, and so they ended up having to move the AFL uh, All-Star game to Houston, like at the last minute. You know, and because because the black players organized, you know, organized a walkout, and that walkout was led by Cookie Gilchrist.
0: Yeah, and he ended his he ended his career in Miami, right?
2: Yeah, he played last game in in, in, in Miami, um, which is the one of the funniest things I'd ever seen because he because he wore number two when he played in the. Can you imagine a guy in like? 6'1, 230, 235 in the 60s, wearing the number two, carrying the ball. That's just a weird (laughs) look for me. He may be the only, the last, I could be wrong, but he may be the last skill position player to wear a single digit number in pro football. Really? I may really? be wrong, but it just seemed like that would be, you know, that might be the case. The last skill position player to wear a single digit number in, in pro football in America in, in the States.
0: Okay. Yeah, and and really thought about that. I know on that adult, I mean, he was right at the end of his career, so I know. And didn't he get didn't he get traded to Denver at that or was Miami his last stop? Miami, I think Miami
2: was the last team because they came into the AFL in sixty six. Okay. You know, and he had been with Buffalo and I think he followed Lou Saban to Denver when the Bills, when he left, when, you know, when, when Lou Saban left the Bills to go to Denver, I think Cookie followed him to Denver. Okay. You know, then he ended his career in, you know, or maybe the other way around. I'm not exactly sure on how that turned out, but you know i do remember cookie playing for denver and i do remember him playing for the dolphins wearing number 2 in that aqua and blue in that aqua and orange <laughs> i do remember that
0: um and in terms of we'll stand on running back theme, so one of the greatest names in canadian football if you were to mention anybody down here the name pinball clemens pinball clemens yep people would look at you going who's pinball clemens but up in Canada, he can't walk the street. I mean, he can't – you know, it, when he walks the streets, no matter where he's at in Canada, people are getting their pictures taken with pinball. He's
1: and an the institution
0: reason why in that is, he is. It has more to do – I think it has more, a lot to do with – or as much to do with his playing career as his personality. Right. And everything he has contributed up there. He is like, you know, he is an institution in Canada. And in Toronto, he has done it all. I mean, in you would look at somebody – who truly is a CFL lifer, who yes. is your, for lack of a better term, your Swiss Army knife. Right. Pinball Clemens has done it all. And I don't know off the top of my head, has he ever played the quarterback position? Because it wouldn't surprise me if he stepped in, much like Walter Payton did on a couple snaps, to cover down on the, uh, to, to pinch hit at the, at the QB position.
2: He probably, I mean, he probably, I don't think he played quarterback. He might've did it like in a pinch, maybe once or tw- once or twice in a game. But uh, Pinball Clemens, you said, I mean, he was a player, coach, executive, all for Toronto. Um, he was, he, you're right, he's an institution. He's a, what do you call, a lifer. I mean, there are guys who've been in leagues and, and everything for a lot of years. But Pinball Clemens was one of those men that he was with the i mean and, and he was with toronto pretty much his whole career right. you know if you were to think about it you know he was such a i mean and just he had such an electric personality um i can remember when i was you know when i first got back into the cfl back in the 90s and 2000s you know he was all over the place you know and not only just playing but he just conversing with the fans and just had this just electric personality You know he has um, six Ray Cups in his career. Yeah. You know he won six Ray Cup titles. Twenty five thousand all purpose yards, both running, receiving, punt and kick returns. I mean, he this guy did it all. You know, and he wasn't that big. I mean, he was just rather. He's sort of like Barry Sanders in a way.
0: That's why they called him Pinball. Yeah, I was just gonna say that's that's the nickname. Unbelievable bounce off people.
2: you know he had just unbelievable balance he just bounced off people you know and just maintain balance and just keep on going he was just an electric talent and i think that had he came to the had, had he played in the nfl you know he would have been just an electric personality and he would and everybody would have known who he was you right. know but he just never had that opportunity to play in the nfl mostly because of his slight stature which i think is unfair
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you. And I think too, I think some of the reason why you don't see people, you know, especially the stars coming down from the CFL down to the States is like going back to that little fit, that, that fish analogy that I gave, Henry Burris is a case in point who is now here coaching with the bears, but Henry bear, Henry Burris played, had a cup of coffee with the bears and I remember hearing the name and then it went away and then, you know, in the 2000s, wait a minute, that name sounds familiar. And then I did some digging, did not realize how big of a star, you know, Hank is up in Canada. And so it was fun to, to be able to like, you know, watching a bears game or actually watching the CF, you know, talking, talking bears stuff. And then like, Hey, remember Harry Bruce? Yeah. Barely. Who's that? I go, no, he's a big star in Canada. Really? And so it's been fun <laughs> to watch. It was fun to watch him. End his career the way the way he did, basically leaning the expansion team to to a title. That's
3: right, the expansion team with That's a losing right. record too. Yeah, didn't, didn't they have? A, yeah,
0: yeah. I got. I don't off top my head to remember, but yeah, title's a title. Hmm. Wow.
2: You know, another guy and, and um, y'all mentioned him earlier, and he was the subject of a documentary a few years ago, Conrad Holloway you know
3: thank you yeah Talked like about him being,
2: being his favorite player of all you know one of his favorite CFL players you know from and, and the documentary the color orange the conrad holloway story i watched that on, one time and i was like I, I before i watched i was like i know the name but i'm not familiar with the name you know i knew he was a quarterback at tennessee i knew that you know and everything else but i never knew his career in canada and i vaguely remember the name from my childhood but watching him play i was like wow this guy is something else you know and again one of the really hidden gems in this in the history of the canadian football league that no one really knows too much about here in the states and uh um, you know conjured holloway was this two-time great cup champion in toronto with the argos you know, and he had that famous game between them and Edmonton where both of them threw for like a billion yards, you know, and, him and Moon threw for like a thousand yards each maybe, I guess. But it was just, just you know, uh, Conjured Holloway was another hidden gem that was in Canada and became a, a hero to a lot of Canadians over the years.
3: And I just loved everything about his game. I mean, you know, he he was a great passer. He was a great runner. I mean, he could think on his feet and make the right decisions and he was just, but it was all in such an exciting package. And the thing is, I think the reason I was such a big fan is, you know, he he prepped in the state of Alabama. He was from Huntsville, Alabama. Right. So I kind of knew who he was before he even went to college. You follow him in college where he's a great player. And then he goes to CFL and he's a great player. And he was just one of those guys that, just from the standpoint of being a fan, it was always just an absolute pleasure and honor to watch him play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean,
2: you know, and, and, you know, he was, you know, just one of those, and he's a great person. I think he's, uh, still, really is. you know, I think he's still with the university of Tennessee as a assistant athletic director there. And, you know, he was just, you know, did a lot of things for the university of Tennessee. Um, just, just an outstanding person, but, he, but even more, just an outstanding football player, you know, for Toronto. Um, there was another guy, uh, Chuck Ely. Yeah, first
0: that's black so I was going to mention the name. Cup. Yeah, the Stone Thrower.
2: Yeah, he's first quarterback to win a great, first black quarterback to win a great cup with Hamilton in 1972 over Saskatchewan. Um, you know, I heard a lot about him. Uh, he was, you know, just a really another great quarterback from the University of Toledo. Um, just another great quarterback. His career really didn't last too, too long, but he was still got that great cup title on his belt, so that's a plus for him.
0: And he came from a really small college too. You think? Yeah, Toledo. Toledo.
2: You know, so I mean, the Rockies doesn't isn't really known as a as a football hotbed. You know, in the Mac, but, uh, you know, but coming from Toledo in that time yeah. and going up to Canada and having the success that he had, you know, people still speak very highly of Chuck e. in, the, in Hamilton.
0: Right. And have you seen the uh, documentary, uh, the the Canadian documentary, Engraved on a Nation? And there's a whole uh, episode devoted. That's,
2: that's on my list to watch because uh, I started doing this again. I went down the rabbit hole doing this and I'm like, I'm running out of time, but I need to watch this, you know, so that's like on my list to watch.
0: Right. Well, you know, I, the one thing that I always kind of get on the CFL about is they don't have their version of NFL films, but in the last, you know, say in the last 10 years, the CF, TSN has tried their best to kind of step into that breach and mm-hmm. and give CFL fans something NFL films like, and they did an eight part series on engraved on a nation. And you know, I'll I'll be honest with you, hey, there were bootleg copies on YouTube, and I grabbed every one of them because I knew they weren't going to stay up long. And the one with him was was my favorite, and oh, wow. I'll try to find it for you and, and try to try to get you a copy of it because oh, no, I really appreciate that. I it's it's buried here as as we're sitting, I've got a ton of hard drives here full of football games and documentaries. At some point I got a catalog, you know, once I retire, I'll probably have more time to catalog and sort through, but of all the, of all the the eight part series, that one was my favorite because it was the most, to me, it was the most inspiring to see what he overcame, you know, back in the seventies. I mean, back in the early seventies in the NFL, I mean there was there was there was the unwritten rule. Right. I mean That's we right. there were there were there were a few guys who came, James Harris, a good example. They came that were able to play in the NFL, but there was that that there but up in Canada, you know. No, I mean
2: that was no unwritten rule. I mean you you think about that unwritten rule, quote unquote. Um, you think of the, you think of Marlon Frisco. Right. You know, balling the magician played in Denver. He was the first black quarterback to start on a regular basis. And he had to do it in the AFL, you know, and then over time, they converted him to a receiver, but up until a few years ago, he had the most touchdown passes by Broncos rookie. Even he had more touchdown passes as a rookie than John Elway did.
0: Really? And
2: and he was he was just so amazing and he only and he only played like maybe half maybe three quarters of his rookie year he played quarterback and he held the record for most touchdown passes by a broncos rookie you know which lasted for close to 30 years you know which a lot of people don't realize but you know but he didn't and he didn't work out as a quarterback because they, moved, they traded him to i think to buffalo right after and he converted him to a receiver and he never played quarterback again um but if you watch film of marlon briscoe you know he was a lot like a kyler murray in the 60s you know forget about tracing Ham; he was you know of in the 60s for an afl team and he was elusive he was short but he had unbelievable accuracy but he was the most athletic he was a fan favorite in denver you know, and had he stayed in Denver and stayed at quarterback, you know, what would have what would the Broncos franchise turned out with him and Floyd Little? Can you imagine that?
3: Holy smoke. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, um, you know, go, kind of on that theme, J.C. Um, Watts is a person that, you know, I saw back when I was a kid play. And then it was like he kind of disappeared on. It. Right. What happened? I mean, he was he was up in Canada, but nobody you know we remember him for what he did in in, in government. But yeah, tell us, tell us about his career in Canada.
2: You know, I mean, you know, J.C. Watts. You know, I remember watching him as a kid at the University of Oklahoma running the wishbone on the Barry Switzer. You know, and he goes to Canada, and no one thought that he could throw. Okay. But when he went up to Canada, he proved that, that this is Duke of Throw, you know, but it was like, he's like another one of those hidden gems that was in Canada, was a big star, came back to the United States and people were like, okay, what happened to him? I remember JC Watts at Oklahoma, yeah. you know, and now he's in, now he's a Senator or, you know, now he's in Congress. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he's still maybe in Congress. I'm not I sure. I
0: don't know. Let me take a you look know. here.
2: But, um, you know, J.C. Watts was one of the, another one of those hidden gems in the CFL that American fans don't really know and don't really totally appreciate what he did up there north of the border.
3: You always had to feel for wishbone quarterbacks, though, regardless of their talent level. Like you said, you know, even if you're a really good passer, if you're a wishbone quarterback in college back in the 70s, you might throw two passes a game, you know? I mean, but, it just. I
2: mean, with that, I mean, with Barry Switzer's offense, you know, you I mean, if you throw th- two passes in a game, that was like almost a career high. Um, right. But they were just so effective with it, not that they didn't like to run, didn't like to throw it, they just didn't have to, you know? And, you know, wishbone quarterbacks have always had this stigma where they can't throw, they always run, you know, and they're getting beat up and all of this other stuff. And you're talking about, you know, me, I ran the wishbone when I was in 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 Peewee. So I knew what they, you know, ran the wishbone as a quarterback. And I know the beating that they took firsthand, you know, which only lasted like two games, but that's another story.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, you know, getting getting back to that, because you mentioned Kyler Murray. And when Kyler Murray first came into the NFL, my first thought was, man, he'd be the perfect CFL quarterback. He would be. And it's it's interesting to see now, and for those who watch the CFL, we can now see in the NFL – a lot of the CFL, because the NFL right. has the turned to a CFL game.
2: Yeah, just you know, that's what a lot of people you talk about with well, a spread offense, and that's a, they've been running the spread in the CFL since the nineteen sixties seventies. You know, they've been running that just without the shotgun.
0: Right. Well, and the run and shoot was developed up in Canada. I mean, that's really right. was perfected that, up there. You know, you're talking yeah, he, about um, Conrad Holloway. Right. At, you know, Mouse Davis and, and that whole team that won the, the Grey Cup in the early 80s was, you know, so people talk about, you know, oh, it's revolutionary. You're like, oh, no, it's
2: been around a while.
1: Yeah,
2: it's been, been around. It's just been up in Canada. I mean, you know, they got no one. And that's one thing about the Canadian League that I've learned is that yeah. you have so many great players and so many great games and so many guys that could have come to the United States and played in that and played in the nfl that would have been household names yeah. you know they would have been household names just for some of the things that they've done and you know and it was a shame that a lot of these black players that we talked about never really had as much of an opportunity that they did here in the united states that they did in canada yeah. and, they, and they once they got the opportunity to play their game right that was what you know, and that set them apart from a lot of the other players, and they became household names in Canada and heroes to a whole nation.
0: Yeah, and you know, and and on that too, there's that there's there there's the playing aspect, but there's also another aspect of what the CFL has excelled in, and that is in the front office. Right. And I'm going to use Jeff. I'm going to use the Jeffrey Orange. Yes. Yeah. Tell us Yo, about but, Jeffrey and, and his term and his time as a CFL commissioner.
2: First African-American named as commissioner of a league, any league in North America. He was commissioner. And he's his, I mean, being commissioner, he wasn't commissioner too, too long, maybe like a couple of years, but still impressive. Yeah. Still, I mean, he was just an impressive man, you know. And, um, you know, and another thing is that, You know, you talk about leadership positions. Willie Wood. Let's talk about him.
0: Yeah, yeah. uh, You know what? That was actually. I've got my list out of guys that we have haven't talked about, and Willie Woods right there. You You know, he was a head coach
3: of the Philadelphia Bell in 1975 before he came to the Argos as head coach in '80. So he he kind of broke a couple of barriers there.
2: That's right. That's right. He was. You know, first of all, he was a Hall of Fame defensive back with the Packers. You know, under Lombardi. And he brought that leadership to the, the World Football League in the mid '70s, and in, in the CFL in the night in 1980 with the Argos. And what he was, what seven years before Art Shell became head coach right. of the Raiders, the first black coach in the National Football League, he had beat you know Willie Wood had beat Art Shell by seven years. So that gives you a prime example of the forward thinking. You know, that the Canadian Football League had as far as looking upon minorities in leadership positions. And Willie Wood is the perfect example. You know, he was, you know, he had, he learned a lot under the, under Lombardi, you know, the Lombardi system, so to speak. And he brought that up to Canada and had success.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we are approaching the end here and uh, this has been fun. This has been great this this has been awesome and dane i apologize we didn't get to, your, to do this before you know you know before we did until now and so my apologies for not having you come on sooner
2: oh man look as long as you have me on, man i'm in, I'm, I'm enjoying myself i've had a lot of fun today doing talking with y'all talking CFL you know and uh hey, it's football season man and um hey i'm 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 down with whatever Brian. and i really appreciate y'all having me on i
0: really do well, we'll definitely have you on again. And um, hey, w- before we end here, let everybody know where they can find you. They know um, Twitter, social media, uh, the internet, what have you.
2: Okay, um, I am the host of Historically Speaking Sports podcast right here on the Sports History Network. Um, you could also check me out on Twitter at historicallysp2. Um, that's my Twitter handle and um if you need to get in touch with me in any way you can contact me on by email historically.sport i mean i'm sorry historically.speaking.sports.com uh i mean at gmail.com and um i really enjoyed having you know being on with you guys and uh whenever y'all need me back to talk more cfl or anything else you know feel free you know you know just contact your brother Hook a brother up will you oh most really definitely, definitely will it. Most definitely. Hey, and real quick. I had a lot of fun, though, man. This was so much fun, I tell you.
0: Before we let you go, what what do you got coming up? What shows you got coming up? Have you Are you doing the Carlin Globetrotters like I asked you? Well, I'm, I haven't
2: done that yet. I might do that when, when basketball season starts coming around again. Okay. Um, but right now, I'm in the process of putting together my – it's like – I don't know if I know you want to call it a mini series, but it's going to be a series of shows that deal specifically with the with the NFL and the one that I have coming up within a few days is we recently had three guys from historical black colleges and universities. um, be inducted into the pro football Hall of Fame and my upcoming show my main event will talk about all of the players that's in Canton that came from historical black colleges and universities.
0: Okay. Great. Awesome. And okay.
2: um, also, I got also coming up in a couple of weeks. I had put together last year. I did this in a blog, but I'm gonna put together a show uh, totally around this. Okay, and it's gonna be just a special show. I had put together if each franchise put together a fantasy team, every NFL franchise's all-time fantasy team: two quarterbacks, two running backs, three receivers. Like a fantasy football league, but with each NFL franchise, what would that look like?
3: Oh man, that's gonna be Greg's porn right there. I can oh tell yeah, you. yeah. I was just <laughs> gonna say that's
2: what
0: simulation football is all about.
2: <laughs> you know, like you know, who would be who would be the like for example, who would be the two running backs for say the Titans? You know, right. Would it be Derrick Henry? Would it be Eddie George? Would it be Earl Campbell? Would it be Charlie Henry? I mean, who would it be? You know, Who would be the two running backs? Yeah. Who would be the quarterbacks for the Pittsburgh Steelers Yeah, if
0: this was fantasy? Would you take Roethlisberger or would you take Bradshaw? Exactly. You know, it's, 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 yeah, I'm dealing with that actually quandary right now. I've got the Arizona Cardinals in one sim league. So we've taken the current Cardinals and we're going to match them together with some of the old timers. See, and that's
2: what I'm talking
0: about. That's what I'm doing right here. Yeah. Well, we'll have to talk more offline about my simulation uh, football league stuff because uh, you'll love it. You'll love oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> you will be able to answer. I. You know what? You will be able to answer the question of who was the greatest team ever. Sure. Thank it's you. you know it's uh, and, and you'd be surprised at some of the answers too. As as I was one time when I realized the '67 Raiders were a lot better than '68 Colts. So, oh
1: yeah,
0: I, I could tell you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but until you see it played out in front of you, it's like you know, you can conjecture and be like, no, the computer says this is how it's. Like, oh, okay. Then you look at the numbers and so anyway, I'm getting off track here. Hey guys, hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, I'm Dana, thank you for joining us. And Scott, yeah, it been a bit of blast. Oh man, really built. has.
3: Thanks so much.
0: Will, t- oh, hey, and one more thing before we get before we, we end here. Um, we're in the fantasy football league together. I know Scott and I, we've got it. We've got the CFL Americans in our NFL fantasy football league.
3: Oh, um, do we? Our I, Sports I yes, this. we do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Show you how involved I am.
0: <laughs> and, um, Hey, Dana, which team, let everybody know because people are going to be able to kind of follow this once we get going. And I know I'm kind of the ringleader on getting this all set up, but for those who are looking at, uh, want to follow us along it's going to be a we've got we're going to have a link up at dot fans, and we're working on it which team is yours mine is a team called the west end war
2: machine that's the name of my team and you see the the the, the charger logo on it you know (laughs) but that's the name of my team west end is a part of the town that i is Is a a, a section of New Iberia, Louisiana, where I grew up in, called West End. And I just like the name War Machine. So that's how I came up with it. And um, this would be my first time playing fantasy football in about 20 years. Really? Really? Yeah. First time uh, in about 20 years I've played.
0: Fantasy? Yeah. Well, it's going to be awesome playing this year because we're going to have smack talk going left and right.
2: Now, see, now, now, now I'm really
0: hooked now because i, <laughs> I I'll draft off the best. So. <laughs> and the best part about this is, uh, at least with the league, at least for me, is we're able to use auto-draft, which yeah. to me kind of helps out because there's nothing worse than being in a fantasy football draft live and shouting out a name and hearing somebody say, he was taken two rounds ago. Oh, okay, back to the drawing board. And then you're being rushed to pick your next guy. And it's like, Next thing you know, you grab a tight, a tight end that, you know, maybe he's got one game in him and then you never hear from him again. So I always right, say the computer right. is always smarter than me.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember being in some of those live drafts back in the late 90s and 2000s, and they were just – by the time I got to my pick, I was already drunk, so. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the best thing about doing the fantasy football stuff. It's not so much about the playing, it's about the camaraderie. Which, right, right, you know, right. And we got a bunch of great,
2: bunch of great guys here at the Sports Central Network, anyways, so, though. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's always it's, it's going to be fun. It's really going to be fun.
0: Looking yeah. forward to it. Me too. Me too. All right, guys. Hey, well, with that said, hey, for speaking for Scott, myself, and Dana. Hey, thank you for joining us, and we will hope to see you again here. Hope to not see you again, but be speaking to you again very soon. <laughs>